Well, this morning I was uh, able to share at Bethel's uh, worship service um, that, met, that meets at 9.15. So before us, uh, Bethel gets together in worship, and uh, some of you have popped in for that, and I think that is absolutely wonderful. And I, uh, I just was so, I'm just so thankful to Bethel um, because uh, during COVID, uh, Cece and I would walk around this block and, and never, we saw this building here and, and all of that, and, and never did I even give it any thought. Um, just would walk by and, and uh, then as we continue to meet and gather, all of a sudden connected with Bethel and they're like, hey, come and worship at our, our space. And they have been so gracious, so kind, so um, welcoming and opening up their doors. It's just been absolutely wonderful. And so to be able to worship with them and, and, and speak with them this morning was just a, such a gift for me. And frankly, uh, a gift that I, that, that I received this morning was just seeing them pray. Uh, frankly, uh, Brian Crott, who's, I don't know if he's still here somewhere, um, he's walking around with the microphone, and they would share a request, and then Brian would pray right then and there uh, for that request. And I just think that's so beautiful. And I challenge them, and I challenge you, as we go through this week, let's not uh, say, hey, I'll pray for you later. Or as somebody shares something, or as you see something, uh, I'll pray for you uh, later. No, pray for them right now. A phrase that I learned uh, years ago was uh, just simply asking somebody, can I pray for you right now? And initially, people are taken back. They're like, well, really? You know, but I've, I've rarely had somebody say no. Um, but even if they say no, they feel loved. So as you go through this week, my challenge to you is as you see something, have that phrase yeah, at the ready. Can I pray for you now? And just quickly say a prayer and then move on. And then the good thing is you don't have to remember it later to pray for them. And you can just pray for them right now and expect God to move in powerful ways. But uh, Bethel has been such a gift to us at at Restoration um, as we continue to get to know one another. One little opportunity that we have to serve alongside of them uh, next Saturday, they are going to clean up the grounds here and put bark down and pull weeds and plant plants and flowers and all of that stuff. And they're getting together at 930 next Saturday. So 930 here on Saturday um, to plant. So I think that's May 7 is the date. So Saturday at 930, if you want to come out and uh, help them, that would be great. Help uh, clean up this place. Um, well, this morning we want to uh, take a pause in the conversation that we've been having about spiritual disciplines. And that really came out of a series we did in First Thessalonians. And we got to the end and it, it said, uh, may, the God, may God himself sanctify you. Uh, may he change you from the inside out. And really from there, we went and said, okay, are we putting ourselves in a position to be changed by God on a regular basis? I mean, the the God of the universe wants to interact with us, wants to to, to speak with us, wants to uh, lead and guide us every single day, and wants to shape our hearts. Are we putting ourselves in that position to be transformed by him? Are we sitting with him? Are we getting to know him? And so we've looked at things like fasting and things like meditation and confession and solitude. And, and really, we're going to take a pause on that just uh, today, and we're going to pick that up uh, next week. But it kind of fits with what we've been talking about. I just want to remind us why we're doing what we're doing. Remind us of, of the heart behind the disciplines, because I don't want us just to be going through the motions. I never want us just to be doing things for doing's sake. I want us to always remember the why behind what we're doing. That the God of the universe wants to commune with us, wants to walk with us, wants to guide us and lead us. And are we taking advantage of that amazing gift? This past uh, spring break, we were uh, heading down to Birmingham, or uh, heading down to uh, Gulf Shores, Alabama, and we were south of Birmingham, Alabama. And uh, as I drive, as I drive longer distances, 
Uh, I use this app. The picture's up on the screen. Anybody else use that for long distances, drives? Does anybody know what that is? Waze, there you go. So uh, that's the Waze app. And the reason I like Waze is uh, because of this next slide. Uh, it tells you where wrecks are. It tells you where there's concerns on the road, hazards on the road. But really the one on the left, um, it tells you where, where those people are, um, police officers. So when you're cruising at maybe a little bit above the speed limit, you can pull it back and then uh, keep going. But uh, Waze will, will tell you how to get to where you're going in the best possible way. And it's based on different users, and they contribute. And if you see something, you kind of click a button. It says there's a, an obstacle on the road. And, and so it's this big community that is encouraging uh, or it's telling people how to get to the places the fastest. Well, we were south of Birmingham, Alabama, cruising on a, a Friday morning. And uh, all of a sudden, Waze said, hey, you have to exit uh, I-65 in a couple miles. And I was like, okay. Um, and then it said, there's, a, there's something up ahead and uh, you need to get off the road. And as I got closer to the exit that they wanted me to get off, um, I thought, traffic's going fine. We're going 85. It's, it's totally fine. We're not, we don't need to get off the road. And, and uh, there's a line of traffic on the exit anyway, and it's actually backed up on the shoulder. I'm like, these people are taking the exit. Why are they taking the exit? We're going 80 miles an hour. We're good. And so I just blew right past it. And uh, Cece looked at me like, hmm, Okay. We went around the corner, and all of a sudden, boom, all the red brake lights. And uh, she, you need to stand up. Stand up. Yeah, you need to stand up. Cece, stand up, because you, give them the face that, I, that you gave me, that you gave me in the car. Exactly. And in that moment, I knew I was in trouble. Because after that, she, uh, she didn't say anything. But she started to breathe heavily, like, <sighs> <sighs> Mallory and, and Piper were sleeping in the car. It was still early. It was like 9 o'clock in the morning, early. Um, and then all of a sudden, Zane, expressive 10-year-old, from the, the seat right behind Cece, said everything that Cece was feeling. He goes, are you kidding me? And I'm like, who brought this guy along? I thought in that moment that I knew better than the app. I thought, I know, it's fine. What does this app have to say? Like, it, it really isn't like, no, it doesn't know. I know better than this. And in fact, when I was in Indiana, I took its little exit, and I, I don't think it even helped me. I didn't see anything that was wrong. I went on this little detour. It's got to be, no, it doesn't know what it's talking about. And I know it's a silly little story uh, that actually happened, and uh, a time when I was convicted, I'm like, okay, I need to follow directions better, and a lot of guys in here need to follow directions better, I'm sure, too. But um, in that moment, I thought, how often do we do that in life? How often do we do that in life with our, our relationship with God? And it comes out in, in, in different ways. It could come out in, in reading Scripture and, and saying, okay, we come across something that we don't like. And it's like, uh, no, God really means something else. What he really means is, eh, this other thing. And we might water it down to make ourselves feel a little better. And in that moment, we're like, hey, we don't need to take that exit. Or how many times in, do we come across something in our lives in prayer? Or uh, come, along, come along something in our lives and, and we even know what to do. And so we're like, oh, we're just going to do it. We don't really need to pray about it. We're just going to do it even though eh, maybe we, we, we should pray about it. But we just continue to do our own thing. And in doing so, blow past the exit that we're supposed to take. 
I've just been convicted more and more going through these spiritual disciplines that I need to spend more time just in this relationship with God, asking him everything, praying about everything, talking to him about everything, going to him with everything. Because that is the amazing gift that he's given us. It's a gift of relationship with him. A gift of, of coming to before him and inquiring of him and saying, what about this situation? What about that situation? And this morning, I want to look at an Old Testament passage in 1 Samuel 8. And so if you have Bibles, go to 1 Samuel 8. And in this uh, passage, uh, I just want us to be convicted by one of the things that the Israelites did. Now, just a, a little background uh, Israel's in the promised land now. If you remember the story in, in Exodus, uh, they were in slavery and, and God raised Moses to deliver them. And there was miracle after miracle after miracle to deliver them from the hands of the Egyptians. They, they walk across the Red Sea on dry land. They, God provides manna. God provides uh, water for them. All along, God is providing. And then after Moses dies, he doesn't enter into the promised land because of a sin that he committed and, and a whole generation died. But God eventually raises up Joshua who goes into the promised land. And their first battle is the battle of Jericho. And they, they march around Jericho. Then on the seventh day, they march around seven times and the walls come crumbling down. And God gives them this land and they take home in this land. And then in, in Judges chapter 2, it says something, it says something that, that actually hits me every time I read it. It says, then arose after that a generation that did not know the Lord or the work that, they, that he had done. And then you read the book of Judges, and generation after generation turns away from the Lord. And God rescues them. As they cry out, God rescues them over and over again. But the book of Judges ends this way. And recently when I was reading the book of Judges, this verse really stuck out. Now we go to the one before it, Judges 21. The Judges ends this way. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There was no king in Israel, which is interesting. Isn't there a king? Isn't it God? We'll get to that in a little bit. But everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone blew past the exit they were supposed to take because they thought, eh, we don't need to do that. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And frankly, I read that, and I'm like, this is the world that we're living in today. This is the, the world that, that, that we exist in. I feel like everybody is just doing their own thing. They might read in Scripture like God says this, eh, no, I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm just going my own way. And then we move forward to 1 Samuel 8. And we see that the people of Israel are crying out again. We hear about a man named Samuel. And Samuel, just is an interesting story, as the book of Samuel begins, his mom Hannah is crying out to the Lord because she is without a child. And she goes before the Lord into the temple over and over and over again, cries out to the Lord because she wants a child. And her passionate prayers get answered eventually. Now, it's only one chapter in, in 1 Samuel 1, but it was year after year, and I love that persistence that we see in Hannah. And Hannah said, God, if you give me a child, I will give him back to you. And so Samuel's given back to the Lord, and he becomes a, a priest, and he's a prophet, and he's a judge over the, the nation of Israel. And in 1 Samuel 8, it says that when Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. And there were judges in Beersheba, yet his sons did not walk in the ways 
but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And this is how the Lord answered Samuel. Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Listen to that again. They have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all their deeds that they have done. From the day I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are also doing to you. Now then obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. And Samuel warns them and says, the king is going to, to, to take your, your sons and, and, and put them in an army and send them out to war. They're going to take, he's going to take your, uh, your cattle, your animals, your possessions, and he's going to take those uh, for himself. He's going to tax you. And he says, this is what's going to happen. And then after he warns, this is what they said in verse 19. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us. That we, may also, that we also may be like all of the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel heard all of the words of the people, he repeated to them in the ears of the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. And then Samuel said to the men of Israel, go every man to his own city. I want to read verse 20 again. Said, they said, we also... No, but there shall be a king over us that we may also be like all of the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. I mean, that was their cry. That was the cry of the, the, the nation of Israel. God was their, their king. God had delivered them. But they're like, we want to be like all of the other nations. We want to blend in with the rest of the world. We don't want to be different. We don't want to be set apart. We want to be like everybody else. Give us a king. And I just think from the very beginning, God chose the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 7, not because they were so great, not because they were so numerous, not because they were powerful, but because he loved them, because he desired relationship with them. And they were to be set apart. They were to be different in the world. They were to be marked by the very presence of God. In fact, in Exodus 33, verse 16, God is fed up with the Israelites because of the golden calf that they constructed. And he goes to Moses and he says, here are the people that you delivered out of Egypt. And Moses is like, wait, you delivered them. And he's like, go and I'm not going with you. And in Exodus 33, 16, Moses says this. He goes, if you don't go with us, then how will people know uh, who we are? We are marked by your presence. We are nothing without the very presence of God. And now fast forward a couple books and they're like, no, we want our own king. We want to be like all of the other nations. We don't want to be different at all. And in that, I think of what the church is called to be today. The church, actually the meaning of the word church is called out once, separate once. We are to be separate. We are to be different than the world. But are we? Or are we wanting to be just like everybody else with maybe Jesus tagged on? So they're like, we want to be like all the other nations. But then their second request was, we want a king to judge us 
and to fight for us. When I think about that, like, didn't they already have a king? They already had a king, the king of all kings, the all-powerful one, the creator of the entire universe, the one who chose them. They had a king who was ruling over them, but they didn't want what they had. They wanted an earthly king, earthly king to fight for them. And then I just think about their story and think about their history, and I'm like, you had a king already fight for you. Think about the miracles. Think about the, the situation after situation. Jericho, they did nothing to conquer Jericho except walk around the city, and God was like, boom, there you go. There is the city for you. He gave them the entire promised land. He delivered them over and over and over again. Every time a judge was raised up, they del- he delivered them from their, their enemies. Yet they're like, we want a king who will fight for us. I'm like, you have a king. You have a king in God. Instead of them singing like, fight on my knees or whatever that song is. They're like, no, we want somebody else to go for us. I think about Israel's relationship with God. And from the very beginning, it was never about a chunk of land, a chunk of real estate. It was always, always been about a relationship been about their hearts. God wanted to be their king. God wanted to rule over them and reign over them in such a loving way to lead them and guide them. It was not just, hey, get into the promised land and then boom, you're done. Have fun. It was, I want to walk with you every single day of your life because I love you and I care for you. And we get this heart of God actually in Isaiah 49. When God says, I have chosen my people. I have redeemed them. They are mine. They belong to me. They are precious in my sight. I love them deeply. It was never about a chunk of land. It was always about a relationship. It wasn't just about delivering them or rescuing them. It was about them walking in steadfast relationship with the king of all kings. So you think, okay, Dave, nice Old Testament story. How does this apply to us today? Because Romans 15 verse 4 says things that were written in the past were written for us today so that we can learn from them and be encouraged with them and filled with hope. And so what does this story have for us today? I think about us. I think about who we are. And Ephesians 2 says this, and it's not up on the the screen. Ephesians 2 says this. After the, the famous section, it says, we are at one time separated from Christ. We were alienated. We were strangers to a covenant of promise. We had no hope. We were without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. You who were once far off, without hope, you have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Why? So that we can know him. And how do we know him? We've been given access, it says, in one, access through him, we've been given access in one spirit to the Father. See, here's the thing. We have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. We have been made new. We have been forgiven. But it's not just about that, even though that is absolutely huge and powerful. We are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. But why are we a new creation in Christ? So that we can walk in relationship with God and get to know him every single day. John 17, verse 3. Jesus says this. He's praying. And he gives us a clear definition of eternal life. He says, this is eternal life. That they may know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life. This is the way to be filled with life and filled with it abundantly, to have the life that we were created to live. This is, to be, this is what it's like to be satisfied at the deepest part of our soul, is that know God in Jesus Christ whom you sent. And this word know is this deep, intimate knowing. 
One that comes from a personal encounter, personal up-close encounter. It's not a knowing in the head. It's a knowing in the heart. It's those people in your life that you're like, oh, they just know me deeply. They know me because they've walked with me. They know my my deepest fears, my deepest concerns, and they know the deepest parts of me. That's the type of knowing that Jesus is is, uh, talking about here. We see this again in John chapter 10. Jesus is using this illustration of a sheep and a shepherd, and he says this about Jesus. Jesus says this. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. I know them at a deep level, and my own know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I know they know my voice. I know their voice. I'm led by, they're led by me. They're directed by me. Is the cry of our heart, the cry of your heart, the cry of my heart, is it to know Jesus at that level, to know him intimately? to go to him every single day, to walk with him, to pursue him just like he's pursued us? Or are we content saying, thanks for the rescue? I don't want the relationship. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to blow past that exit. I love Paul's words out of Philippians 3. And these are verses that you know. Paul says this. As he reflects on his life of of a religious life, following all the rules and, and doing everything right, and, and he had quite the reputation. And he says, but, in verse 7, but whatever gain I had, that life, whatever I gained from that, I counted a loss, as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, as trash, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Over and over again, Paul says, I just want to know Christ. I want to know him. Is that the cry of your heart? Every single day as you you go through life, is that the cry of your heart? I'm going to spend time with you. I'm going to sit with you, God, because I just want to know you. I have this or that going on in my life. God, I want to come before you and pour that out to you. I need help. I need direction. Is that the cry of your heart? Every day going before the Lord, inquiring of him. The thing that messed up Israel in the Old Testament, it says over and over again, they did not inquire of the Lord. They did their own thing. They went to battle, and the Lord gave them direction, and then all of a sudden, it says they didn't inquire of the Lord, and then all of a sudden, boom, there was chaos. And I wondered, does the same thing happen to us? Are we inquiring of the Lord? Are we asking him? Are we entering into? Hebrews 4 um, is a powerful passage. It says that because of Jesus, we have a great high priest, a high priest that, that knows everything that we are going through, everything, because he went through life, yet he was without sin. He was tempted in every way. And then it says, because of that, let us have confidence to enter the throne room. Let us go boldly into the throne room and in our time of need, find grace and mercy. That is the opportunity that we have. That is the invitation by the King of Kings. He doesn't just want to be your Savior, and that's very important. He wants to be your Lord, your King. And so this week, here's what I want you to do as we've gone through different disciplines We've had wonderful teaching around all, all the disciplines, the discipline of fasting. Fasting is, is creating a heart hunger for the Lord. 
going without food and, and crying out to the Lord, using those opportunities around lunch and different meals to, to spend time in prayer. We've talked about fasting. We've talked about meditation. Marta did a wonderful teaching on, on meditation. We talked about confession, confessing your sins to one another so that you can be healed, James 5. Tyler and Eric led on that in a wonderful way. We talked about solitude. Last week, Mike gave a great message on solitude. Are we just listening to those words, or are we putting them to practice? I don't want us to be people who are just hearers of the word, but I want to be doers of the word. And so this week, here's my challenge. Here's my very practical challenge. I want you to go on our website, go to one of those teachings, pray about it, say, Lord, what do you want me to do this week? And I actually, then I want you to actually do it. Set aside time to meditate on scripture. Memorize scripture, maybe. Set aside a day to fast, perhaps, if that's what the Lord is calling you to. All with the goal of putting our hearts before the Lord and saying, here I am. I just want to know you. I don't want to blast past my exit. I want to follow you every single day, step by step. So here's what I want to do. Tyler, you want to come up and, and lead us in a song. But actually, before he does that, I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want, to, I want you to pray for one another. I want you to pray for one another that the desire of your heart would be to know the Lord at a deep, intimate level, that you would pray that over each other, that God would give them, the person that you're praying for, the desire of their heart to know the Lord. It's like that old song, I want to know you, I want to see your face. May that be the desire of our heart. So turn and pray with one another.